0: There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources.
1: Pretty much universally, social science suggests that Many of the institutions that we hold dear, that shape us, that provide us social support—a huge amount of this used to happen anyway—inside of these traditional religious structures. And there really has been nothing to replace it.
2: We're talking about what the self is here. I mean, atheists believe in the self. Everybody believes in the well, self. Well,
1: no, that's not. I mean, that—that that, that I, I find difficult to believe. Why, why would an atheist believe in the self? The self is a series of non-deciding mechanisms.
2: This show does seem to have an extraordinary capacity for putting me face to
1: face with people that I've been talking smack
2: about online. So, <laughs> thanks again.
3: Welcome to The Big Conversation, part of Premier Unbelievable's roster of shows brought to you in partnership with the Templeton Foundation. I am your host, Andy Kind. Today we are talking about a very interesting topic. The question is, is religion good or bad for society? And I've been joined by two very dapper chaps, Ben Shapiro and Alex O'Connor, who some of you, most of you maybe, will be completely aware of. Ben Shapiro is a prominent American conservative political commentator and columnist. Okay, so far? So far, so good. (laughs) (laughs) A graduate in political science from UCLA and the Harvard Law School, Ben has authored over a dozen books, including the number one New York Times bestseller, The Right Side of History, How Reason and Moral Purpose Made the West Great. He is co-founder and editor emeritus of The Daily Wire and host of the aptly titled Ben Shapiro show, which in 2021 was ranked in the top 10 most listened to Apple podcasts. He also has a YouTube channel with over 6 million subscribers. Kudos to you, sir. (laughs) Joining Ben today is Alex O'Connor. Alex O'Connor is a YouTuber and host of the Within Reason podcast, a philosophy platform designed to present philosophical discussions in an accessible format. A graduate of philosophy and theology from St. John's College, Oxford University, he is also an international public speaker and debater, having defended his philosophical convictions against a wide range of experts across multiple continents, and whose online video material has been viewed more than 70 million times. Is that true?
2: It might be more now actually, depending on... on, on More than
3: 70 million times? That was written. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Well, it's great to have you both thank you both for taking the time and uh, for both of you i'm a long time listener first time caller so hopefully we're <laughs> going to have a, a lot of good stuff uh, to say we're talking about religion and society and um, how they interconnect and We want to know, really, and I'd like to get this settled once and for all at the end of this conversation so nobody else ever has to discuss it if we can. Is religion good for society? Can a society hold together if there are no underlying beliefs that everybody shares? And we're going to be exploring what both of you believe are the most important principles undergirding any civilization. What are the foundations of morality and ethics based on? So without further ado, let's let's start. I'm not going to go into backstory too much because most people will be aware of of, of who you are, and there'll be a lot of uh, fanboys and girls out there watching. Um, but let's talk about something that Ben you have um, spoken on, and Alex you have responded to. This idea of the atheist delusion. Ben, could you sort of concisely, if you can, um, talk about what you mean by the atheist delusion?
1: Sure. So. I should start off by saying I don't actually think that it's possible to prove the existence of God. I'm also not a believer that you can disprove the existence of God. I don't think that logical argumentation is going to get you there one way or another. And so I'm not going to try and do that with with Alex today, because I think that if people would have been able to provide dispositive proofs, then people would believe them. And if people were able to provide dispositive proofs that God does not exist, then people would be more apt to believe those as well. What I think is an atheist delusion is that it is possible to live ideologically purely in a way that does not rely on fundamental faith principles. When I say faith principles, I'm not going to make the claim that those faith principles are direct from Sinai or that those faith principles require the New Testament, for example. I'm going to make the claim that there are a bunch of principles upon which we base ourselves that are external to what we know about nature and evolutionary biology, and that many of the things that Alex does in his daily life, for example, are going to be things that rely on principles that are external to a philosophy that would assume a lack of the supernatural, a lack of the, the extra natural. Um, so some of those principles, for example, are free will. So every day we get up, we believe, virtually all of us, whether we, whether we say we believe it or not, we actually act in ways that, that betray the idea that we believe that we have control over our own actions, at least to a certain extent, and that that control makes a difference in the world. And that's what gives us purpose. It's what allows us to wake up in the morning and, and make the decision to do what we believe is right or what we believe is wrong. That the principles of right and wrong are external to evolutionary biology. So both of these principles that I've mentioned already, free will, right and wrong, these come from a language that is external to the, the Darwinian language of evolutionary biology. If you're talking about free will, there is nothing in nature that suggests the ability to make a decision free of environment and genetics in combination in some sort. The same thing is true of right and wrong. The idea that there is a right and there is a moral wrong that we can reason our way to. Another principle that I think that you're obviously very big on, it's something that you rely on all the time. Your entire podcast is, is based on the idea of reason. These ideas do not exist in the context Of a purely materialist atheist universe now i'm not going to make the claim that i can prove that it's god who's behind those things because one of the principles of faith belief is that i don't understand god so for for people who don't believe in god that's that's an easy way out right that's an easy way out for people like me because i say well i I don't have to explain the relationship between god and free will because frankly i don't fully understand god but that's not really the the that's not really an open window that's just part of of pretty much all faith systems, is that if my mind were the mind of God, then I would either be God or God would not exist, one of the two things. So the, the idea that reason makes a difference in our lives, that we can reason our way to propositions, and that that's more than just saying a few magic words and that's setting off a few neurons in somebody else's brain in a naturalistic way, that there actually is principles of truth, another concept that comes from the extra natural world, that these principles exist. So so far I've mentioned free will, good, right and wrong, reason, and truth, right? All things that we consider extremely key in our daily lives and that Alex considers key in, in what he does. It's, I assume, why you get up every morning, or at least why you feel you get up every morning. You know, wh- what 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 gets you up to do your podcast? It's because you want to say things that you believe are reasonable, are going to convince people to act in a better way, or I assume not a worse way, that that get people to to change their lives in some way, in a self-motivated fashion that's not merely in a a sort of Pavlovian response to circumstance and environment. So if I were going to talk about the atheist delusion, that's what I would suggest is the delusion, that that an atheist can use terminology that is drawn from a world that is external to atheism for itself. And again, that's not an argument for God, even. That's just an argument against atheism. Again, I think the the arguments against God are are fairly compelling, and I think the arguments against atheism are fairly compelling. This is one of the things that I've said to Sam Harris. Um, And I think that the difference is that most people who believe in god have expressed doubts and a lot of people who are atheists tend to be more religious in this way than many of the people who are god believers
3: well well something's certain we don't do uh, cold opens or soft starts here on the big
2: conversation alex well i am glad to begin on a point of agreement with you ben that uh, yes if there is no god there is no free will but i think that's because of the truth of this of the latter of those statements, that I suppose the biggest criticism that I've made of you in a, in a video response that I made to the atheist illusion and and this show does seem to have an extraordinary capacity for putting me face to face with people that I've been talking smack about online. So <laughs> thanks again. By the way, I should say it it's a great video, and everybody should watch it if they haven't well, I, i'll I'm going to put that uh, put that in the description, I think that that glowing endorsement. The principal disagreement that I think I had with you, Ben is that there was a subtle or not so subtle implication in my view that yes uh with no god there's no free will but somehow having god can solve this problem i mean you said a moment ago that you don't think you can establish god's existence through reason alone but uh, assuming that you do believe in the existence of free will you think it's a real thing that you have yes and uh, simultaneously saying that if there is no god then free will makes no sense yes that does read to me like an argument for god's existence such that in order to to, to either say that there is free will. In, in order to
1: say that there is free will, one must believe in God. And, and that does strike me as well, I mean, an argument to, for God's existence. I mean, to, to slightly curve that or, or to, to kind of sand off the, the rough edges there, I would say that n- the argument I made is, n- is an argument for something extra natural. Sure. Now you can call that okay. like God or not um, God, but, but, the, but the, the thing that I'm making the argument for is that you cannot get from a materialist Darwinist universe to yes. free will. That is not possible. So I know that the way you solve that is that you say that there is no free will. That's right. And what I'm saying to you is, You don't act that way
2: I hear this all the time people say look you may say there's no free will but you don't act as though that's the case I I, I suppose that I'm just confused as to what it would look like for somebody to act as if they believe there was no free will I mean the very argument that there is no free will that I subscribe to at least one of the various Mm -hmm. forms that it takes is a a sort of Schopenhauerian view that you can do as you will you just can't will what you will and that you are essentially just a biological machine reacting to its uh, to to its internal and evolutionary drives that's what's happening now call that nihilistic if you like that's a separate question but as to the question of how this would make one act the idea that this might uh, cause us to sort of lay around in bed all day or something the very mechanism that I think is responsible for eliminating the possibility of free will that is the drives that make people do what they do like I say do exactly that make people do what they do. They make them get out of bed in the morning. Why do you get out of bed and go and make your breakfast if there's no free will? So or you go and get breakfast because there's no free will and something is driving you to do that that's outside of your control. For sure. So,
1: the, so to get back to the nihilism point, which you kind of put aside. So that, that means that this conversation is essentially worthless in any sort of real sense. I mean, effectively, we were driven here by evolutionary biology and environment to have this conversation. Everybody who's watching this is driven by evolutionary biology and, and environment to have a particular reaction to that thing and ever round the cycle goes. That seems like a very purposeless life. Maybe that's maybe the, again, I'm drawing from a realm that is not evolutionarily bio, biologically you know connected. Mm-hmm. The, the word purpose is is really teleology obviously has been taken out of the realm of science pretty thoroughly by by atheists and by by many people in the sciences although I, I would argue that Again, most scientists speak in the realm of teleology literally all the time, and they're yes. borrowing language from the language of teleology, even when they're describing functions of particular body parts, right? The heart pumps blood in order to <laughs> right. keep you alive, right? They're, they're constantly using language that's teleological in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the real question that I have, and this, this is what goes to the question that you were asking at the beginning, before the, the sort of pre question question, which was the good of, religion to society, one of those goods is people believing that their free will matters and this mm-hmm. actually is a useful thing. So I believe that it is deeply important for people in society to believe that they have the capacity to change themselves and to make different decisions than what biology would drive them to do. So you say, well, it's biology that drives you to get out of bed in the morning, which is almost Calvinist in, in sort of the, the, mm. the way that it's described, right? It's like you're predestined to get out of bed in the morning, so thus you get out of bed in the morning. But the reality is that we are constantly making decisions as though those decisions make a difference in the universe. And what social science actually does tend to show is that when people believe that they have control over their own actions, then when they believe that they're, they're capable of changing the way that they live, they do make those changes with more alacrity and in better directions than if they don't believe that. If people tend to believe in a deterministic universe, they do act worse. So it may work. This is, this is gonna be sort of Straussian in its implications, but the, that may work for you. You're a very high IQ individual who can somehow reconcile the idea of living a very purposeful life with the idea that actually there's no purpose to anything. Mm -hmm. But for the vast majority of people, that is not actually how they live. And I would suggest that even in your daily life, you don't get out of bed in the morning thinking, man, my biology is driving me this morning to get on the bike, have a great day, the sun is shining, that's my biology doing this. And I don't think that, that most people who live purposeful lives, even if they believe that everything they're doing is predetermined by the world around them, by their own biology, I don't believe they actually feel that they have to engage in what they themselves would, would term an illusion in order to feel a, a sense of purpose and meaning in their lives.
2: Of course, but that's what the evolutionary process, in my view, in my worldview, I should say, has done so well is provide precisely that illusion. I mean, it, it's not as that. I mean, you say, look, you don't get out of bed in the morning thinking, "Gosh, you know, look at my biological." My biology. neurons are firing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, of, of course not, because if I did, then the whole evolutionary purpose that this this illusion. Serves would fall away. I mean, you say that this is a fairly purposeless life, and and perhaps a you know the implications that it's a bit of a depressing one. Uh, I I didn't come here to inspire optimism in people. I just think it is in fact the case. By the way, no, it, is. <laughs> it is in fact the case that free will doesn't exist, and and we may feel very uh, nihilistic towards that. But uh, as a wise man once said, facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> and I will say that the argument against free will, in my view, is based upon something. Broader than just scientific analysis or empirical research, rather, we can build an argument. I think from from a law of logic, the uh, the proposition that that P must either be true or false, and it can't be both. It can't be neither. It has to be one or the other. Now, this law of the excluded middle, one of the one of the foundational precepts of of, of philosophy, we can simply ask a question of any kind of mental activity. And, and this will be regardless of whether it's material or immaterial. That's what makes this a crucial argument and, and an important one, a pertinent one, is that you can ask if that, uh, of that mental activity, is it determined or is it not? That is, is it determined by anything else or is it completely undetermined by anything? If it's undetermined by anything, then it's random. And you're by definition not in control of that which is random. If it's determined by something, then it's either determined by something further inside your mind or inside your brain or indeed inside your soul, or it's determined by something external to your brain. If it's determined by something external to yourself, I should say yourself rather than your brain here to uh, rid this conversation of uh, any implicit materialism, exterior to yourself, if that's what's determining the action, then clearly you're not in ultimate control of that action. If it's something inside of yourself somewhere, then all you do is push the problem back and you ask the question again, is that thing determined or is it indetermined? Indetermined, it's random, determined. You keep going back until you either terminate in something outside of the self, something uh, or, or I suppose something undetermined and therefore therefore random, either of which you are completely out of control in. If you say that it terminates in something like a soul, people like to do this, they say, well, look, with a religious philosophy, we have the benefit in of introducing a soul. That doesn't solve anything mm. because you still need to, it's not, a, it's not a matter of having to explain the mechanism by which the soul brings about actions. That may well be a mystery, but if it is the case that whatever it is that's doing that, is either determined or it's not. And that if it's not, it's random and therefore out of your control. And that if it is, it ultimately terminates in something outside of yourself mm. or something random, and both of which are out of your control. Free will cannot exist. Well, and the, so, so that, I Well, that, that, does,
1: that, does argument, that, that argument does rely on the complete deconstruction of the self. Right? I mean, you're using the, the term self in, in this argument in, I think, a couple of different ways. You're saying something outside yourself, but then you're breaking down the self into a bunch of separate components as though the self is a computer. Right, so if, you, if you took the self and you broke it down into a machine and there, there's, like the micro, there's the microchip and you've got the processor, you've got, you've got all these different parts of it. So it has to be coming from here or it has to be coming from here. But I think the very idea that we have of ourselves as selves is as a deciding being. And so the, the attempt to carve that down into so which parts of the deciding being, that is an avoidance strategy. So I, I don't think that the argument quite holds. Well, if we I mean, can call the self just… A deciding deciding being, being, a deciding being.
2: Then that sort of fundamental assumption that we make about the nature of the self, I don't think, is going to be incompatible with atheism. How so? Uh, Because we're talking about what the self is here. I mean, atheists believe in the self. Everybody believes in the. self. Well, no,
1: that's not. I mean, that 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 I I find difficult to believe. Why why would an atheist believe in the self? The self is a series of, of of non deciding mechanisms, as you've described. I see that your view of the self is, is an atheist view of the self, a, a, a meatball wandering through space, as I've put it somewhat colorfully, the, the sort of Spinoza idea that, that you're a stone that's been thrown. And, and you can comprehend that you've been thrown, but you're a stone that's been thrown, and that's just the way that it is. Why would there be in atheist philosophy such a thing as a deciding self? The deciding self, the deciding being, is external to the idea of an evolutionary cause. Because uh, it, it, it again, it, the, the very word deciding suggests uncaused decision-making. And you've just excluded it through your own philosophy.
2: Uncaused decision-making, I I suppose, is a concept that I think is unintelligible. And and therefore, if there is is an unintelligibility of the self on atheism, I suppose the the thrust of the criticism that I made to essentially every point you made in that video, except for uh, the argument from motion, is that... What you're saying to me, if it applies to atheism, I think simultaneously applies to theism as well. How so? An, an uncaused decision. I mean, what is the process by which a decision is made? Ah, it,
1: but now you're but now you're, you're falling into the, the same sort of argument that I excluded at the beginning, which was, I said that the beauty of religion is that there's a bunch of stuff I don't understand. Hmm. So I can't explain to you how the uncaused self makes decisions. Well, then I can't explain to you how the uncaused self exists on an atheist But you have framework. a burden and I don't. Meaning I, that, I don't meaning, think that's the case. You do, though. I mean, the, the, the simple fact is that you are the one who's claiming that a reasonable materialist universe is the cause of all. And so if that's the case, you do have to explain the mechanism in a way that I certainly do not. My entire philosophy rests on the, on the positing of an entire realm of things I don't understand in terms of their interaction with the world. Now, as I said at the very beginning, that leaves me a giant escape hatch. I'm not gonna pretend that that's not a giant escape hatch. It, it acts in practice as a giant escape hatch. It also tends to act as a fundamental principle of faith, Right again, in, in every moral realm. Right when, when you get to the problem of good and evil, Right, one of the big questions is, Well, how can God allow evil to to take place in the world? And the fundamental religious answer, as it has been for thousands of years, is my mind is not God's, Mm -hmm. which is a giant escape hatch. It also happens to be true from a religious point of view.
2: So if I may, there are uh, two sort of escape hatches here. There are two appeals to mystery going on here. And it seems to me that what you're saying is something along the lines of uh, my appeal, my simple appeal to mystery here is disallowed in the way that you're allowed to appeal to this, yes. this this mystery because I'm the one making the claim.
1: I think that in no, the- No, not con- because I'm the one making the claim, but because the- I'm the one with the, the burden. Y- y- in y- the context y- y- of this y- y- discussion- Sorry, I'm, I'm missing the who's the you and the who's the, the I in a yes. sense, but yes. <laughs> I, I, see,
2: I see what you mean. I'm, I'm speaking for myself there. Sorry. Um, if in the context of this discussion, this, this began the, the subject, which I think is the first one you bring up in this video, free will. Here's this thing that I think exists, and on the basis of its existence, think entails the existence of a god, or or at least points to the existence of a god. I shouldn't say entail. And then when I say that I don't think that the the concept of free will is is, uh, intelligible, and you say, well, how is it intelligible on atheism? And I say, I'm not sure it is, but it's not on theism either. And you say, well, there's my escape patch. I can appeal to mystery. I don't think the burden is on me there. I think you were the one who was making the claim that free will does exist, that there is this mysterious property mm, of the universe that's that not, that's escapes not this, this that, so, determined or indetermined cor- dichotomy. And then when I say that this is, uh, this, this is unintelligible to me and, and based on what I see to be fundamentally appeal to a law of logic, suddenly I'm the one making the claim. I'm the one with the so, burden who has to do the proving. No, the I, actual, I the actual that claim
1: way. that I originally made, if you if you recall, was a conditional claim. Mm-hmm. I did not claim free will exists, therefore God. I claimed if you believe free will exists, it cannot exist in a materialist universe. Now, you say, okay, fine. It doesn't exist in a materialist universe. I don't believe in free will. Yes. That's fine. It's totally plausible. As I said right at the top here, mm-hmm. I'm not going to prove to you that God exists today. What I am going to say is that the vast majority of people throughout nearly all of human history have believed there is a thing called a self. It is yes. an deciding self that makes these decisions. If you are a person who believes that, you're right. It can't exist in your world. So I'm not saying... That it does exist, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're totally right, and all of this is just Mm. a series of chemical firings. That's quite plausible. That's fine. What I have said, and this is the argument that that hasn't yet been rebutted, is the is the that society does require an extraordinary number of people to believe that they are capable of making decisions for the good or for the bad. Because Mm. again, not everybody is you, not everybody is capable of waking up in the morning putting one half of their brain on hold, the the side that says, what I'm doing today doesn't matter, and we are all going to wind up in the cosmic nothingness of space anyway, and the sun's going to explode and eat the earth. Most people don't function that way, Mm -hmm. and so a a functional society, a society that actually works, relies on people actually believing that their fate is in their hands, and the way that people tend to understand that on a day-to-day level is, I get up in the morning and I make a decision whether I'm taking my kids to school today. I get up in the morning and I decide whether I'm giving charity today. I get up in the morning and I decide whether to go to a job today. Because the truth is that for for a huge number of people, and I would say this is true for virtually, not virtually all, many, 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 I would say the majority of people, if they were informed since the time they were small that their decision-making process does not exist, there is no decision to be made, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, those decisions have no moral weight in the universe because the universe has no moral weight, there is no way to create a functional society on the basis of these premises. There There may be a platonic world where philosophers... You know, can can think about this in the gardens of their imagination and feel great about it, but that that's not actually how society functions. Not for children, not for teenagers, not for adults. Yes. We're going to
3: go on and talk about that in the second section. Um, I had free will to ask any of the questions I've had written down here, but I just didn't want to. I didn't want to stop either of you. It's been breathless and captivating. I'm sure you'll agree. Um, before we go to our first break, we are going to go on and talk about society and how morality undergird society and civilization.
2: May I just say, bef- just just I know we're coming to the end of the section. Uh, just to just to close off this 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 moment, that if people listening agree with me that free will in fact doesn't exist, and simultaneously agree with you that free will is somehow necessary for the upkeep of civilization, then I would simply ask them to consider who's relying on the delusion here. You know, yeah. and and I don't mean that I, as no, an insult, I, but you I, see no, what I'm saying. Right? I,
1: I I totally agree. And so from my argument. You would be, and from your argument, I would be. Yeah. Meaning I, I think that you, that you are delusional, there's no free will, and you think I'm delusional in the sense that, that there is no free will, and yet I believe in it. Yeah. Something like that, yes.
3: yeah. So for you, Alex, just before we go to the break then, because um, we're trying to break it down, we've got two insane minds here really kind of uh, grappling, and uh, I feel as if I've won a prize and a competition just to be here sitting with you both. Um, to break it down for the viewers, Alex, would you say that free will is maybe if there is no such thing as free will, is it nevertheless a helpful fiction for people, a convenient narrative that we can cling to to sort of bat away despair?
2: Precisely why it evolved, in yeah. my view. I, I, I think I totally understand that, but, the, but because it evolved so strongly, uh, I will say that we are all, if we are sort of delusory in our belief in free will, I mean, uh, you're quite right in saying that I, I act as if free will exists in the sense of not constantly being aware that it doesn't. I don't wake up and do those strange morning affirmations that you mentioned into the mirror about, you know, the, the sort of maybe, heat death of maybe. the universe. But, <laughs> maybe you but should. People, people, I think it is good to reflect on, on your mortality in that manner uh, every once in a while. And it, and it does inspire some, some serious thought about whether you're really taking your philosophy seriously. But I will say that the, the mechanism is so useful and has been so successful in embedding itself into our psyche that we cannot shake it off. So I can, convi- I, I, I can have conversations with people as I do regularly talking about the existence of free will and they come away saying, you know what, that's extraordinary, maybe you're right about this. And nothing about the way they live their life changes precisely because of the fact that the very argument I'm making relies on the assumption that we will still be driven by our drives. All I'm doing is identifying what's actually going on there in my view, it doesn't actually change what happens or what the brain indeed does. Fantastic. So
1: the, the utility argument for what you're saying about free will is that the main utility in in you saying these things is for people not to believe you in the end.
3: We are predetermined (laughs) to go to a break at this point. So um, we're going to continue this. Um, You're watching and listening to the big conversation from Premier Unbelievable with me, your host, Andy Kind. I've been joined today by Alex O'Connor and Ben Shapiro, and we are having a fascinating conversation. conversation about uh, religion and whether it's good or bad for society there's lots more to come so we'll be back after this short break
0: before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast i've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this easter as you know nt wright is without doubt one of the greatest christian thinkers and apologists of our time and some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus's death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus's Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Anything and Unbelievable going strong, because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus's Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievableshow. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievableshow. Thank you.
3: Welcome back to the big conversation from Premier Unbelievable with me, your host, Andy Kine. Today, our topic is religion. Is it good or bad for society? And I've been joined by Ben Shapiro and Alex O'Connor. And uh, in the first section, we basically solved the problem of free will. That's, That's done. No one need write on that ever again. So congratulations.
2: Um, that's another credit for you. Yeah, I think on the
3: delusion point,
2: we, we terminated in something like, and I know you are, but what am I? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and uh, my dad can beat up your dads. So <laughs> <laughs> let's move on in this section to uh, talking about another easily solved question, um, morality and its role in society. So uh, Alex, we started with Ben in the first section. Let's start with you. What for you makes an outcome good or bad? And feel free to break that down, define things as you want. And how do we determine what is good and acceptable in society?
2: Here is where I may disappoint you and potentially excite Mr. Shapiro in in that I I don't have a good answer to that question. In in that obviously attempts have been made for a long time to ground God, uh, to ground good uh, outside of God. I must say that similarly to to rehash the same theme, I think there are issues with with grounding good in God as well. I don't think that removes the problem. I I don't quite know what good is, if it indeed exists. I'm quite suspicious of the concept. I think it might be another one of these unfortunate, uh, unfortunately quite nihilistic evolutionary uh, uh, sort of illusions of a Mm. sort i guess i I ascribe to emotivism more than anything which has sort of gone out of fashion Mm -hmm. in the past decade but i think still has some 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 truth to it in in a sense it's um more of a philosophy of language than it is a philosophy of of what good and bad actually is what i do know however is that there are problems i think with trying to ground morality in the existence of a god especially if it's done so on the grounds that it essentially can't be done Mm -hmm. anywhere else i mean As far as I'm concerned, the religions of the world are false. I I think that they are incorrect. That is, I don't think there really is a supernatural authority. And what that means is that the inventions of religious morality are just those inventions, Mm -hmm. and inventions of a human mind. Now, if you have a human morality that recognizes that it is is essentially a series of compromises between the history of mankind, trying to get along with each other on a planet, Mm -hmm. then what happens is sometimes these ideas and these philosophies rub up against the real world, and we can, we can uh, adapt them as necessary. Now, there is, a, there is a deep problem with this, and that is, if I meet a man who wants to kill me, or a friend, and he says that he doesn't believe in God, there's very little I can do to talk him out of that, except I can threaten him with legal sanction, I can threaten him with uh, moral reproach, exclusion from the moral community, but there's not much more I can do. However, if a person says that he wants to kill me, and he believes that he wants to kill me because god has told him to do so then i don't even have that minimal approach uh, reproach available to me because there is no law written by any man of any time that could ever count one iota against the dictates of the creator of the universe Mm -hmm. therefore if that god in fact does not exist and if these moralities are in fact human inventions then what you have in the grounding of an ethical system in the dictates allegedly of the creator of the universe. It's all of the arbitrariness and subjectivity and, and failure and faults of nihilism and human invented morality with all of the certainty and all of the faith and all of the unanswerability of the creator of the universe. That to me seems a dangerous cocktail that we drink
1: at our peril. So, so many things there and, and so much that you're saying is, is quite brilliant. I actually thought you were going in a different direction with that last example, which I'll explain in a second. So you know, to, to start with the, the very beginning, obviously the, the idea of right and wrong, uh, so there, there are many problems with emotivism. Al- Alistair McIntyre does a good job sort of breaking down the problems with emotivism. Um, but the, the sort of idea that there, has to be cer- there have to be certain moral absolutes that are beyond contention, and those moral absolutes have to be universally accepted. You can ground that, I suppose, in a sort of descriptive universe. The problem is that, to go back to your example, which, again, I think is a really interesting one, if a man comes to kill me, I think the, the, the real question of religion versus non-religion in the utility sphere here is, is it more likely that a man is going to come to kill you being a, a devotee of a religion that says that he must kill you, or is it more likely that a man is going to kill you out of self-interest because he is not a devotee of a, of a god who says that killing is wrong? So if you are faced with these two alternatives uh, to kind of remove your example one step, the question is why the man has come to kill you. I mean, that's, that's the, the, your premise is the man has come to kill you because God told him to, and so he can't be dissuaded by force. Agreed. We see that full scale in the real world on a fairly regular basis. It is also true that over the course of human history, men have come to kill one another on the basis of self-interest in extraordinary amounts of the time, tribal self-interest particularly, having no particular relationship with god just the idea that i want to kill you over territory i want to kill you over resources i want to kill you because you're not a member of my immediate kin family oh. or because you killed a member of my kin family and so in revenge i need to kill a member of your kin family the entire to to borrow from your language the entire sort of evolution of religion on a utility basis would have been to create moral absolutes that are applicable more broadly to then than to you and your friends any morality that can be created on an individual level is inherently dangerous because you can immediately graph that morality onto your personal self-interest. The entire purpose of religion, whether you want to ground that in evolutionary brain functionings, whether you want to ground that in revelation, the entire purpose of religion on a utility level is to remove morality from the purview of my special interest and to say, here are things that I cannot do, even if they are in my interest, because there is a higher power that says I cannot do these things. I think that a society that does not have these moral absolutes is in deep trouble. A society that, that refuses to say that there are certain absolutes that cannot be crossed under any circumstances that are universally applicable it reduces things that we all take for granted like equal justice before the law like the idea that the law is supposed to equally apply to everybody whether they're a member of your family or whether they're not and there are broad cultural differences in these questions i mean to pretend that all human societies have equality under law is obviously not true it's not even remotely true actually uh, there's a, a very good book called The Weirdest People in the World, all about the idea that we in the West have this sort of ethnocentric view of ourselves where we think everybody thinks like people in the West, but the truth is that because we are Western-educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic, we have particular views of the world. Those views are drawn from a particularistic tradition. That particularistic tradition is biblical in nature. I mean, it is Judeo-Christian in nature, even if you're just describing European society or American society, historically speaking. So the, the kind of removal of God from the equation, your suggestion is that God makes... A person impervious to countervailing responses? And my answer is yes, God does make a person impervious to countervailing responses, including the evils of one's own heart, if you truly believe that God is standing above you telling you not, not to do that thing. And again, social science tends to bear this out. People who believe that, that God is, is above them tend to give more charity, for example. People who tend to live inside religious communities, in religious, within the religious community, and I, again, I'm not going to pretend that I think all religions are equivalent in their, in their truth propositions, because I don't. I mean, I, if, if I did, I wouldn't be wearing a yarmulke, right? So <laughs> that's just what it is. Inside religious communities, a lot of social bonds and a lot of social frameworks are built on the basis of this shared belief system. In other words, diversity itself, self-interest Cannot always check self-interest, and it tends to tear apart societies and communities unless there is an orienting goal. That orienting goal traditionally has been performed by church. It's been traditionally performed by the idea that you are serving God together, and because of that, people build these these social bonds, including the institutions of police, for example, to to prevent people from from killing each other. Because we now all agree that killing is wrong, and so we ought to have a third party that we can actually <coughs> give the power to to stop to stop that killing. So. Again, I think that the the question of utility here is one of whether you think that the chief danger is that people are going to believe in a God who tells them to to kill in in God's name or whether you think that the chief chief danger is in man's own heart and that man is going to be driven by his own self-interest to commit murder and then call it something else. I think it's all very well and good when
2: this religious tradition is protecting what you think is good. But as we know, it can do the exact opposite, and it can do so with the same force. And I suppose the question we have to ask is whether this is a worthwhile trade-off. That is to say, you know, that there may be uh, some social utility in in putting our fundamental ethical assumptions outside of the realm of debate. But when those ethical statements begin to uh, inspire what we would probably consider to be less than socially cohesive behavior there is nothing you can do nothing to talk people out of them because precisely because that's where they've placed them and that seems dangerous to me and it seems it seems for for example you know a lot of people talk about how re- religion can make people happier. It can make people more socially cohesive. It can it can promote people to to start families and have children. Uh, this is true of most religions. This is also true of Islam, which I'm not sure you would want to. Say, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm not sure you'd want to say is a force for good in the world. I don't think, in other words, that it's always a worthwhile trade-off. Now, just, I, I agree. with you, just, by the way, just because you mentioned the how uh, the sort of culture of Europe and its success and America. Is indebted to Christianity. I mean, this is of course true in a sense, but there's been a a recent revival. It seems. I, I don't really know quite how it's happened. I think it's got a lot to do with Tom Holland, maybe. That's the mm. historian, not the superhero. Not Spider-Man. <laughs> the, the, this idea that that Although actually he's good too. He's good actually the, the the great. I wonder what he would have to say on all of this. <laughs> I, I, the, the 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 Western civilization sort of depends and and should be in gratitude to. Uh, to a religious tradition, because it provided this kind of ethical framework in which this could have arisen. We hear about the scientific enlightenment. We hear about, you know the 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 grounding of ethics in God, the creation of of natural rights, as if these things weren't established in resistance, all the way along to the religious tradition. Uh, a society that today, I'll expand on this, if you like, the Please. society, a society today that decides that, Religion throughout its history has been wrong about the position of women in society, wrong about the mortal fate of practicing homosexuals, wrong about the position of the earth in relation to the sun, wrong about the age of both of those celestial bodies, wrong about the common evolutionary ancestry of every animal, including the human animal on planet earth, wrong about the ownership of other human beings as private property, now, now has to contend with a religious tradition that doesn't come to us with contrition and apology and say, Well, maybe we were wrong about these things. But no, these are all our things after all. We're, we're going to claim these things. That is, you know, I know that St. Paul says, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over a man, rather, she should remain silent, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and that man is the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. But don't you know that the social justice movement is essentially Judeo Christian in origin? I know that the Old Testament not only explicitly condones the ownership of other human beings as private property, but gives detailed instructions about exactly how to buy and indeed take them, sometimes including as sexual property. But don't you know that the abolitionist movement was essentially Judeo-Christian in origin? Yes, I know that Galileo was shown the instruments of torture by the Inquisition for having the temerity to suggest that the earth might orbit the sun rather than the other way around. But don't you know that the scientific revolution which he authored was essentially Judeo-Christian in origin. I, I'd find it funny if it wasn't so offensive to the people who established these very developments except against that, the very religious traditions that now want to claim them as their own.
1: Okay, so I would buy that except for the fact that many of the people that you mention in these contexts explicitly counted themselves as religious believers and were speaking in the name of the religion while they were doing it. So to take the abolitionist movement as an, as an example, I mean, William Wilberforce, obviously a tremendously religious person and a big believer in, in the New Testament. Isaac Newton, obviously deeply ensconced in, in the New Testament, right? Yeah, certainly important to the scientific revolution. The, the, the point about religion, and this is why when I wrote my book, what, I have to name the title now and plug myself because that's the <laughs> so way around. Yeah, the right, side of, yeah, the right side camera of history. The, the the reason that I talked about how reason and moral purpose made the West is because I think that one of the fundamental precepts of at least Judeo Christian religion is that when God gives a text or a set of ideas to human beings, He expects us to use our reason to apply to those texts. And so the the sort of evolution of interpretation is part of the religious tradition. I mean, that's always been the case. In, in my religion anyway. So I can only, I, I, I always hesitate to speak on behalf of other people's religions because I don't know them nearly as well as I know my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I, when I talk about sort of the application of reason to tradition in the religious tradition, obviously we have books and books and books of texts discussing and debating these very ideas. And the idea of religious debate has always been central to the idea of Judeo-Christian religion. And when it hasn't been, it's been seen as repressive and has spawned then other Christian movements that then argue with the original movement and end up yes. generating in almost Hegelian fashion, and some new form of, of interpretation. The, the point that I'm making is that outside that framework, it doesn't exist. Meaning that, that once you, if, if the argument is over, interpretation of particular biblical verses in a context in which there is a God who puts certain moral precepts beyond human judgment, those arguments you can have without threatening the entire social structure. What is very difficult is to have a social structure at all in the absence of fundamental moral precepts that are presupposed by everyone. And I think one of the reasons that you're seeing a a sort of revival of this idea that religion is very important to the West is because one of the things that we have seen is that as religion has become less important to the West, we've seen declining birth rates en masse. We've seen rises in suicidal ideation. We've seen, especially over the last 10 years, tremendous tremendous individual atomization, certainly an extraordinary amount of less social connection. All of these things are things that, frankly, used to be provided by church and these social institutions that again were oriented toward a single purpose. So when when you talk about the idea that you know, I, I'm going to put aside the free will discussion because I think again there's it's easy to get caught up in the reversion to the argument that I was making before when you were saying that you know can you argue the man out of out of stabbing you to to use your framework I mean you can't argue him out of doing anything I mean you're you're going to say words the words are going to have an impact but you can't argue him <laughs> out of out of doing anything but not 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 to get back into a, a topic that we've handled free will I, is done I, I, but yeah the, I,
2: I'm not gonna I'm not gonna answer that although hopefully people will know from what I said before that I, I think it's still sensible to say you can argue somebody out of something. Um, the first half of what you say there is in so many words I think what I was saying before which is that yes this goes both ways. That is mm. thanks be to God when he is able to provide us with the grounding for resisting oppression and throwing off tyranny. Yeah. But what about when the same God is used to justify the exact opposite?
1: Uh, right, what, what, all to, the, the all I'm saying I'm is, is that this goes both going, ways. I, and we'll, ahead, and we'll we'll never ahead, but you're going to have to weigh in one side or the other we'll meaning also, we'll, in terms of utility, right? You're building yes. a society. Let's say that they, I won't say you're God. Let's say that you are master of a society and you get to build that society. Mm. One of the things that presumably you are going to do is you're going to build in certain things that are untouchable, right? There's going to be certain moral precepts that you're going to build in that are untouchable. And how are you going to justify those things to people such that they are going to believe you? You're going to either have to use compulsion I don't, or I you're don't going know. to have to use some sort of other argument that is that is so strong that they are going to overweigh their self. I mean, this, there's a reason why Voltaire suggested he didn't believe in God, but he hoped that his maid did so she wouldn't steal the silverware.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting uh, indictment on the position that, that theists don't say that atheists can't be moral right uh, when when people when people have this argument about morality atheists can certainly be moral. well often oftentimes people have this have this uh, misunderstanding of the argument christopher hitchens did it best in saying you know we don't need divine permission to be good and all of this fine but as you say you don't need uh, you don't need to believe in god to be good but you need to believe in god to to ground that goodness but then when you have to when you, when you sort of casually throw in this this statement by voltaire I don't believe in god but i hope that my maid does Mm. that implies that actually maybe you do think that without the belief in god somebody isn't no i think that voltaire
1: thought that he was good meaning that voltaire was 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 an atheist and thought that he was good but his point was sort of back to the straussian platonic point
2: his his point was that he hoped his maid believed in god because without that belief she wouldn't be able to Right.
1: so so another because again when we're (laughs) arguing on the basis of broad societal utility one of the things so i I happen to be in the happy position of being able to argue that what i think is socially useful also happens to be true Mm -hmm. The question I'm asking you, and I think that's what a lot of this conversation is, is whether you think that what is socially useful is actually false or an evolutionary illusion. And I think that that, that's kind of the position that you're taking, unless you want to Hmm. argue that, generally speaking, religion is either not evolutionarily adaptive, which would be a hard position to actually take. I think it must be, otherwise it it wouldn't exist. Or you'd have to argue that it's even if it's adaptive, it's of no general benefit to, to humankind and, and or and or is an illusion, right? Yes. I mean, that, that's the position that you're taking. So one of the things that I'm enjoying about the conversation is that I don't think either of us are going to argue each other in anything, but it is clarifying what exactly the lines of the division are.
2: Yes, to, to backtrack a moment, um, because you said more than one thing in, in what I just responded to, you also mentioned, uh, while well, you talked about Isaac Newton being a Christian, So I mean, people were were astonished discovering his private notes to find that he spent more time talking about theology than than he did science this is this is certainly the case but i I do think it's worth pointing out when uh, people like to to notice that the originators of the scientific revolution in particular were believers in god there are a few things to say on that first we don't know what galileo thought in his heart of hearts and part of the reason for that is because despite tripping over himself to say now look i don't think scripture is wrong now look I, i i believe in god and i am a christian and i believe in scripture but maybe the earth orbits the sun, his life falls apart. Mm. So suppose he did secretly have doubts about the existence of God. Do you think we'd ever have even found out about it? And that, that's an unfalsifiable argument. I think, so. I think not a chance. In
1: other words, but the, the uh, lack of in falsifiability in words, makes it difficult in words, to make an In, a counter-argument in other words, let's not be so maybe confident. He did, maybe he did have a secret diary, but in I other have no words, proof that he had a secret diary. What I'm diary. saying is let's
2: not be so confident about this. The second thing to say is that these men, if that's what they were remembered for, that is their theology, then they wouldn't be remembered. Mm. Thirdly, is that just on on the minor point that people (laughs) often like to point out that, well, the, the originators of the scientific revolution were religious and so science can't conflict with religion. I'm not going to make the claim that science does conflict with religion in principle, but supposing that it did, this would not serve as a rebuttal because if it were the case that the scientific revolution and the scientific method undermines religion, mm. then of course the people who invented the scientific method would themselves have been religious because they hadn't invented the mechanism by which it came to be undermined yet. Yeah, it but would then be like saying they
1: presumably would be irreligious or a religious, right? which, which is what happened to Darwin, for example. It doesn't right?
2: happen that quickly, right? It, it really That's doesn't. Not happen. true. On an individual level, it certainly if we're talking about the, If we're talking about the development of the, of the scientific. Uh, of the scientific method, we're not talking about the kind of thing that just happens in a lifetime. I mean, to attribute it to you know Galileo and Newton, as, as we as we happily do, is far too simplistic. This is something that happens over over, over at least decades. Right, but, you, but you're making of an individual
1: argument and a broader historical argument. so yes. pick one.
2: And so what what I'm saying is that the individual beliefs of the founders of that revolution, uh, I don't think that revolution would have gotten off the ground enough from just their contributions within their lifetime to shake decades of prior faith. However, when you when you get to someone like a Darwin. Then we start to see agnosticism. Then we start to see people having their doubt. And then when you get into the modern era, uh, a- atheism uh, uh, abounds. And so, in other words, if it were the case that this thesis, which, like I say, is not right. something that I'm, that I'm defending here. I'm just sort of rebutting the rebuttal to it. That is, if it were the case that the scientific uh, method were, were this, this king of undermining religion, then I think we would expect the fact that those who invented it to have been religious. It would be like saying, isn't it amazing that the person who invented the motor car didn't own a motor mm-hmm. car before that?
1: Well, no, uh, because, again, you've now also made the case that perhaps they had secret diaries or in their heart of hearts they weren't actually religious or convinced away from that. So, again, that's why I'm saying I feel like you're you're, you're making a broader historical argument that works, and I think you're making an individual argument that doesn't quite. I'm not Explaining saying that that, that is that, the they,
2: case. I'm saying that we would never know because – and because – why is that? Why will we never know what Galileo really thought about
1: religion? Well, I I'm, I'm, I'm going to just accuse you of assuming facts not in evidence. I mean like I because again like I don't want to get into the mind of Galileo nor do I, I care very much but the the reality is that many of the people who were the progenitors of the scientific revolution and participants in the scientific revolution specifically were searching for something higher because they thought that that was their godly duty to do so mm. I mean this has been true since the time of Roger Bacon I mean the 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 idea that that you have people who are specifically seeking out the nature of the universe because there's an understandable again another religious precept there's an understandable universe that god has created and yes. your mind is a reflection of certain truths that are in that universe these are all non-materialist atheistic concepts that was the basis for virtually all of science including the origins of the scientific revolution now you can make the argument very easily i mean i make it all the time because i have to metaphoricalize the the beginning of genesis for example mm-hmm. that, that the the words of genesis don't jibe. With the with the words of of science when it comes to the age of the universe, for example, and obviously that's true, which is why both Maimonides and Aquinas are talking about in the Middle Ages the idea oh, yeah. that if science comes into conflict with religion, you're either getting one of them wrong, or you're getting both of them wrong, mm. and so the, the the constant sort of reinterpretation of of religion in light of the facts that are established by the scientific method, I don't think that that's a rebuttal of of religion, and so the, the and more than that, I think that the 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 peculiar idea that religion itself must fundamentally be undermined by scientific discovery. I I don't see quite why.
2: Well, I, I I would agree with that. I'm just saying that that the rebuttal that's presented to that opinion fairly commonly I don't think works for the reasons that I, that I've that I've said. Um,
3: okay, well let's let's have a li- give you both a little breather because we're going to go to uh, another break very uh, shortly. We've fitted in so much and uh, I had all these questions and I haven't asked any of them uh, and I'm worried now that I'm going to be left unemployed. <laughs> I,
2: I, I, before we move on I don't know if I can have a, one final word on this on this Galileo point because I know it seems quite strange that I'm sort of hypothesizing in this way but you said that when when religion and science come into conflict either one is wrong or both is wrong. Galileo was was wrong about one of these things potentially. What happens if, I mean, you can, it's, it's great talking about the utility of his religious belief in inspiring his scientific endeavor, but what happens when the immediate fruit of that is him discovering something which should have been a celebrated idea and instead was suppressed and he ends up under house, uh, house arrest in Tuscany for the rest of his life? Why? Specifically because the religious authorities, in their sentencing of Galileo, did not just say that he failed to prove it, did not just say that he was, you know... Being a bit of a being a bit of an a-hole in in his approach to the things, but said specifically because it is false, absurd, and contrary to stri- to scripture, that is why that scientific. Uh, position was suppressed on specifically religious motivation. far be it from me to and defend the Catholic
1: Church and it's, and it's cracked its in Okay, oh, You've come to the wrong okay. place for Okay
3: Okay. It's time. Phew. <laughs> it's time for another break here. You are watching and listening to the big conversation from Premier Unbelievable. I am almost anonymous here, Andy Kind, but uh, my day will come. And I've been joined by Ben Shapiro <laughs> and Alex O'Connor. We'll be talking about religion and society. Is religion good for society? So much more Still to talk about. We'll see what we can uh, fit in. We will fit in as much as we can. But we'll be back after this short break. Welcome back to part three of the big conversation from Premier Unbelievable. Today we are discussing religion and is it good or bad for society? And we're having a lot of fun with it. I think.
2: I mean, I, I know you're.
3: I know you're sort of in disagreement on things, but. I think we're just having fun with it today aren't we as ever well i've been joined by ben shapiro and alex o'connor and as i say we're talking about religion and its role in society one observation i've got from uh watching you guys talk i wonder whether religion is being used as a bit of a a catch-all term you know there is no summer festival where ben and i would meet up because we're religious and have a beer together you know plenty of Buddhist people don't even believe in God so we probably don't have the time to unpack it now but religion is maybe not a helpful catch-all term at all points I wonder whether when we're saying religion in this context we mean the Judeo-Christian worldview but it's interesting you know I as as a as a Christian there's lots of things I agree with Ben on some things I disagree on lots of things as a, an Englishman that I agree with Alex on and, and other things that I wouldn't spelling so, so yes yeah, spelling absolutely <laughs> it's aluminium uh, anyway um I just think that that's that's interesting I'm not trying to start this theist gang and gang up on you uh Alex Alex at all but um yeah what do you think quickly about about that when we're talking about religion do we need to be do we need to be more semantically sort of Accurate. Rigorous, yeah. I mean, yes. yes.
1: I mean, uh, again, I'm I'm not here to defend every form of religion under the sun. There there are various forms of religion ranging from things that you know, people in Judeo-Christian tradition would consider pagan to Judeo-Christian monotheism uh, to the distinctions in Judaism and Christianity, which are substantial, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I, I do... Believe that there are right forms of religion or right forms of religion than others. If I didn't, then I wouldn't be a particularist in my mm. religious practice or, or my religious belief. And so I do think that you know, you're right to sort of boil down the question so that people don't end up defending things or being forced to defend things that they wouldn't defend. I mean, you mentioned before Islam. I'll, I'll say more radical forms of Islam because, again, I'm, I'm one thing that, that I tend not to do as a religious believer is simply take people's texts at sort of face value mm-hmm. because the reality is that very few people in religious circles take their text at like the, I can just pick up a Bible, read it, and now I know everything that's going on in the Bible value. That, that really is not how the practice of religion works. I tend to actually judge faith by faith practice uh, more, more so than I do by, by trying to read somebody else's book and then figure out exactly what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've seen people do that enough to, to my religious practice to, to sort of object to it. Um, but yeah, of course, mm-hmm. I think that you would have to talk, if you're gonna talk about the value of religion, you should be more specific. I will say that the value of religion more generally, if you were gonna talk about it in just mm-hmm. general terms, meaning belief in supernatural things that can't be explained by yeah. a materialist universe. The social cohesion point would be the best case in favor of religion, is that that virtually every study ever done has shown that social cohesion relies on a common orientation among people in order to build commonality between people. There are really only a few structures in in Mm -hmm. human history that do that. One is a kinship structure. The problem with kinship and tribal structures is that they pretty quickly devolve into tribal warfare upon other members of of different tribes. One of the things that that religion has done is an attempt to universalize universalize that beyond the immediate sort of tribal self-interest that we discussed a little bit ago. Uh, And again, pretty much universally, social science suggests that many of the institutions that we hold dear that shape us, that provide us social support, uh, that provide us friendship structures, marriages. that a huge amount of this used to happen anyway inside of these traditional religious structures and there really has been nothing to replace it. Mm. And so the the sort of breakdown of those structures, you could make the case, I suppose, for the breakdown of those structures, but there has been pretty much no replacement for those structures in secular society and it's it's creating some pretty significant strains on societal bonding. Great. I suppose so I, so I do Lev, have two, two ask, things to I'm say. I'm going to ask
3: you, yeah, I want you to say both of those things, but I want to ask you, Alex, can secular societies potentially achieve the same level of social cohesion as religious ones?
2: Potentially, maybe, I don't know. That seems to be an empirical question uh, Insofar as we can have empirical data on social cohesion as, as a subject. I, I, I wanted to, I suppose, in response to that question, mention um, the history of the United States as a constitutionally secular nation. Presumably the discussion there devolves into whether America can be described as a Christian nation or not. But based on what you just said a moment ago before we maybe get into that, uh, you, you said, of course, we need uh, more specificity. Is, is hardly ever worse than than less, and that you're not trying to defend all religious traditions. And then you say, but look, this idea of there being a god and there being an unalterable authority and a moral author of the universe is itself valuable, and and w- without it, there are all kinds of societal, uh, all kinds of societal discohesion comes about. In that case, for example, I, I wonder, and I hope it's not a crude question, and it's one as. Uh, st- Sort of stemming from genuine interest would you would you rather uh, uh, your child comes to you and says you know i i think i'm going to convert to islam or said i i don't think i believe in god anymore
1: as a jew I'm, I'm fairly indifferent on the question meaning that my priority is for my child to remain a jew and mm. which direction they go from there is of is of much less interest to me than than staying inside the religious tradition that I believe is correct.
2: Okay. Maybe I should rephrase to say, uh, suppose that, you know, uh, half of the US population immediately right now, and half of let's say the, let's say half of the Christian population. So it's not to do with right. Judaism and it's, and, and it's not to do with your own family. Half of the Christian population in the United States are immediately going to convert today to atheism if you press this button or to Islam if you press this button. Which one, which one would you press?
1: So I'm going to ask for more specificity sure. in line with the conversation. So which form of Islam are we talking about and which form of atheism are we talking about? Because they come in various strains. But meaning like uh-huh. the, if, if, if we're just starting from the premise of no God or Islamic God, that actually is not enough information. Because as I say, I'm not judging people yes. based on their faith propositions nearly as much as I am based on their behavior, which I think they base on faith propositions. What do you say
2: this is the only thing that changes. Uh, you press this button, half the Christian population become convinced that there is no real God of the universe. Everything else is 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 random. Whatever you might, because what we're discussing here is essentially what what are the implications of such a worldview? Right. What, what are the implications of atheism, which is just the disbelief uh, in God or the belief that there so people is. People
1: have not memories. God. In, sorry, in this, in this hypothetical, do people have memories or they don't have memories? Because this this makes a difference. They, yeah, they have memories. Okay, fine. So then, then probably in the West, atheism. As opposed to a more radical form of Islam, that's why I was asking for specificity because well, the, 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 the button on the forms. right-hand
2: side was going to be that they just become convinced that Muhammad is is the final prophet of God.
1: Right. And, and again, I was going to ask for more specificity on that because I know many moderate Muslims who are not radical in the implication of their faith, as opposed to some who very much are quite radical mm-hmm. in the implications of their faith. So, uh, but let's, if you don't mind, I, I'm I'm going to set up your hypothetical in a way that I think is more clarifying for Please. me anyway, uh, and that is version button on the right is radical Islam, like Taliban style Islam. Okay. And button on the left is don't believe in God.
2: Well, I mean, you can do
1: that. No, the reason I'm doing that is because that elucidates elucidates a difference that I think is being obscured by the simple sort of belief in God, not belief in God question, meaning that the cultural heritage of that's why I asked if people have memories or people don't have memories. Mm -hmm. Uh, If people have memories, then that looks very much like secular europe right now which does have the cultural heritage in the bloodstream a values. lot of judeo-christian values in a way that that yes. would not be true if you were without memory right would i rather that a child found in a forest be raised in a moderate muslim household or be raised in a secular communist household
2: or a secular atheist household if i may say
1: again from which tradition are we talking in the USSR, or are we talking in britain like what, what are we talking, we're talking about, about here? britain okay so we're, ta- well, we're, we're, talking, we're talking about the us so probably, but let's, so, let's say britain in in, in britain um Depends on the strain of Islam. If we're talking about like a, a liberal form of Islam, which do exist, then probably a liberal form of Islam. If we're talking about a fundamentalist form of Islam, then then probably a secular strain of, of Britain. Fine.
2: The second point uh, was to say, uh, I mean, you mentioned not wanting to just re- to take scripture at face value. And I understand that the difficulty of, of taking scripture essentially out of context and, and trying to take a literal approach where a literal approach isn't supposed to be, uh, isn't supposed to be taken. I mean, people forget that the Bible is a is a collection of books rather than a book with, with lots of different genres. I, 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 yes. I saw a video once of, of somebody trying to, uh, to, to use the Bible to disprove the divinity of Jesus by quoting the book of Job saying, uh, God is not a man that I might question him. God is not a man, you see? And, and I thought, not only is this in the mouth of Job, but also, you know, I, that's the kind of thing that we want to avoid. But it does seem to me that there are some things within religious scripture that do need to be taken uh, seriously and do need to be taken essentially at face value. Uh, that is some of the some of the very specific legalistic commandments of the Old Testament, for example, or, or of the the Hebrew Bible, I should say. Uh, the, these are not uh, when people list these and say that these are potentially morally problematic and and may have done something towards hindering, for example, like I mentioned earlier, the abolition of slavery in the United States. Of course, uh, there was a great deal of religious influence on both sides, as as which is something that I've already mentioned. But don't you think that this problem could have been solved a lot more easily if there had been a stronger religious tradition of opposition? to the ownership of other human beings. Why can't that have been the case? Okay, because so, scripture quite explicitly condones it right, and, so, and, 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 and in fact gives you the details of how to do yes, it. So that, that, that's something that couldn't have been done in other words because you've taken this, is you know, this, to Law, so this moral sorry, principle a, that's placed outside of, of, uh, of uh, meaningful debate. Right.
3: right. Before we move on, can I ask, where are we getting these buttons from? Are they from Amazon? You know, the, you press one, and everyone's an atheist. This yes, is wonderful thing. Are that, that- These
2: available that, on the market. That I think you both need to use uh, in, in in this conversation, which is imagination. All oh, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's. Uh, so uh, as far as why didn't the Bible prescribe the perfect world as I would see it, or as you might see it? And the answer is because two two reasons. One, as stated right up top, I'm not God. I assume He has different logic than I do. Mm-hmm. Two, the Bible is in an inherently problematic position in the sense that. On the one hand, it's trying to divulge important truths for all time. At the same time, it's talking to a people of a particular time. Yes. And this is, this is a well-worn tradition inside Judaism. So to take the slavery example, there is no mandate to hold slaves in the Bible. Right? There are lots of mandates in the Bible, many, many mandates. There are 613 of them according to my religion, right? That's why I do all these weird things that I do. Um, but, <laughs> the, but one of those mandates is not to hold slaves. Right. And so the idea of there was a society that existed at the time of the Bible in which slaveholding was not only ubiquitous, it was universal, and which was true for virtually all of human history. That's right. And could be justified not just in terms of religious scripture, but in terms of Aristotelian thought, right? I mean, the, yes, the, 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 the great philosophers we like to cite, in the in, sometimes in the secular tradition, are big fans of slavery. And that's true virtually up until the 18th century. Yes. Uh, so the idea would be, is this verse attempting to woo people away from a tradition of slavery or to humanize the slaves? Or is it attempting to reinforce that by making it harsher and more difficult? And that's why actually one of the things I enjoyed doing in, in terms of how I study the Bible, for example, is I like to look at contemporaneous religious texts of the time. So yes. I like to study the Bible alongside, for example, Hammurabi's code. And it's really interesting to notice the differences and where the Bible is liberalizing Hammurabi's code, for yes, example. Yes, absolutely. And so, the, and so the idea that a divine revelation has to be has to be given to human beings who are capable of following that in the time. Again, that, that's part of the difficulty of, of, I think, rebutting religion in a certain sense because, again, it seems wiggly, but it really isn't in the sense that if you believe, as I do, in a God who spoke to human beings in some form or fashion and has to speak to them on a level that they can understand, in ways they can understand, mm. then that immediately is going to discount the ability to do a lot of very radical things that, have, that would have appeared radical in 1200 B.C., but now appear to be commonplace for us.
2: Yes, I understand this argument and I, I've heard it many times. I must say that it seems strange to me that God does seem willing to completely and utterly condemn uh, a bunch of other practices, including, by the way, imaginary crimes like witchcraft, just done away with entirely. And even if it is the case that God, for some reason, couldn't just say, couldn't even hint at the idea that maybe eventually we should be moving towards the abolition of the idea of owning human beings as private property. He just has to. It. At it, but, but yes. I, I still think it's the case that he would not permit a flat immorality. And I think you would agree with that, too. And so when I when I open the Old Testament uh, or the Hebrew Bible, and, and when I look at the texts saying that uh, you, you, if you... Lay siege to a city. You can you can kill if if the Lord does, delivers it into your hand. You can kill the men and the women, uh, but keep. Oh, you can kill the men and keep the women and the children and the and the and the livestock as plunder, as Deuteronomy says. And and uh, the, in the very next verse, uh, sorry, the very next chapter says that, you know, if um, if you see a good-looking woman. And, and I'm, not, I'm not interjecting that. If, if somebody finds an attractive woman. Yes, if, if that's is the actual Hebrew, yeah. Then, then they can take them for themselves, and if they want them as their wives, and they, they take them home, they shave their head, they cut off their fingernails, they give them 30 days to mourn mm-hmm. their old husband, who you may very well have just killed, and then you can take them as your wife. When Numbers 31 has Moses instruct the, the slaughter of the Midianites, saying kill all the men, and this time the women get killed too, but not the women who haven't slept with a man. And why might that be? And it says that, you know, keep them for yourselves. And uh, I, I hear all the time that this is some kind of liberalizing process. Maybe it's because, you know, these, these people wouldn't survive on their own. It, it's some kind of protective measure to make sure that you're you're looking after them. If that's the case, then why does it only apply to the virgins? That seems a little bit suspect to me. You know, in in uh, it, it, it's sort of uh, scriptures littered with these with these kinds of with these kinds
1: of. Well, problems. again, so to, to go back to the sort of oral tradition. Nature, and I don't think God would,
2: would permit a, a, a proactive immorality, even if He can't for some reason abolish the practice altogether if you see what i mean
1: the well no that last point i don't see so the the when you say even if he can't abolish the practice altogether well which already i think he would be able to do right so the 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 question is whether he can or whether he can't if he can't abolish the practice then the idea of wooing people away from a particular type of sin through a through a gradualistic process is known throughout societies across human history i mean the gradualistic processes are the way that, that most things get done across human history and by the way the 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 universal practice unfortunately up till today in many places in the world is in fact the extreme version of what you're talking about raise everything kill everyone That, that sort of stuff unfortunately does take place even on planet earth even in the year 2023 and so the idea of a culture arising from the bible that not only abolished slavery on its own shores but then abolished slavery literally everywhere else which is what great britain did That again, to to separate that off from a tradition that also says that every human being is made in the image of God, right? Which is the verse from Genesis, or or that you have to treat the stranger well, right? Which is repeated more than any injunction in the Bible. Right? There there are these these traditions that are that are at war with each other inside the Bible, which is why there is this hotly fought kind of argument inside biblical circles about all this stuff. Which again is one of the reasons why I said right up top that when it gets to I can't just open the Bible and interpret the text as I would see fit. You say, well, I, I don't like this is verse right here. Contradictory. I'm,
2: what was that? You, you say that scripture is contradictory.
1: Well, I say that that scripture is some some scripture is time bound and some scripture is not. So the the, the easy one that the, the sort of easy way to distinguish is that when the Bible says not to do a thing, mm-hmm. then that tends to be non time bound. And when it says to do a thing, and when it says to do a thing, that may be a temporary permission structure, mm-hmm. but it, it could also be a wooing, a wooing. And by by the way, again, I'm not speaking out of turn here. This has been uh, Fifteen hundred years of Jewish reinterpretation of Avot e. to to take a quick example, right? That sorry, the 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 uh, the war bride, uh, that like the, the the longstanding Talmudic tradition, which again is almost two thousand years old at this point, is that that was deliberately an attempt to avoid mass war rape, which again. You can, you can scoff at that, but mass war rape happened on this continent 70 years ago when the mm. Russians literally raped everyone <laughs> as they came into Germany. So you know, the, these evils continue to exist in the human heart. Even if this was a liberalizing force, and even if this was uh, not as bad as other
2: slavery, do you think that the ownership of other human beings under the conditions of the Hebrew Bible are immoral? Yes. So how do you account for God commanding something which you now see to be, or or, or rather permitting something and explicitly and giving you details about how to do something, which is proactively immoral.
1: Because permitting, he's not permitting me, permitting, my great 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 to do something to do something that in the time was not considered immoral. It wasn't considered immoral, but
2: was it immoral now? By today's standards, by today's developed by the
1: Judeo-Christian tradition, sure. By today's standards developed under the Judeo-Christian tradition, immoral. So, which by the way, you're you're living off that. You're again, not to get back to the Town Holland argument, you're living off the remains of this. I mean, where's your morality coming from? But
2: who's the moral relativist now? I mean, I mean, it seems that a moment ago you say that the great the great success of religion is providing a sort of uh, untouchable moral basis that sort of transcends human affairs and human debates and now when I say well look at this open your own religious scripture and look at this blatant immorality you say yeah but well that was considered to be fine at the time it's considered to be uh, bad now by the progress of judeo-christian there, 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 there's a question a, the, who's the moral relativist
1: well in? that's not it's not relativistic to say that the that a thing that is wrong today is considered wrong today because of a tradition that developed over time the that's, question that's, I'm
2: asking is is not was it considered right or wrong at the time it was, of biblical it slavery? It was wrong. Was it, it wrong?
1: Uh, it was wrong then to hold a slave. Yes, it was wrong then to hold a slave, obviously. And also, if you are God and you are pragmatically attempting to woo people away from slavery, was it a practicable thing he, to simply, quote-unquote, abolish slavery? Or Here's an idea, be, for, for example.
2: In, in the book of Exodus, uh, God says, I, I think in chapter 21, maybe 22, uh, says that if, uh, if, if, you have a, if you have a Hebrew slave, you are to let them go after seven years if that Hebrew slave comes to you with a wife, then after the seven years, you let them go too. If you give the Hebrew slave a wife and they have children, then after those seven years are up, you give the man a choice. He can go after the seven years as per, but you keep his children and his wife. Or, and here the scripture says, you know, if, if he says, I love my wife, I love my kids and my master, as if that's gonna be one of the principal considerations, then he can stay with you, at which, at which point you take him outside, you pierce his ear like cattle and he becomes, your property for life. Now, here's a suggestion for example. If it was already established that Hebrew slaves go after seven years, and it's already established that if they come with a wife they can go after seven years, then if I give them a wife and they have children, would it not be, it it doesn't seem to me, particularly revolutionary. It doesn't seem to me the kind of thing that would have caused such social discohesion that God just couldn't have found a way to do it, to say, well, why not let the whole family go free after those seven years? With the knowledge beforehand that if you give this, this, this Hebrew slave of yours a wife and children, they'll get to leave with them. That seems to me, for example, a minor improvement that would not cause this kind of revolutionary earth shifting. He couldn't have just gotten away with slavery. Maybe that's true. But something as obvious as this to me, it seems that if that is the case, that that could have easily been done, then the failure to do so and and the... The, uh, the keeping of that Hebrew uh, wife and their children as the master's property, that itself becomes an immorality that is, that is dictated
1: If I agree heavens. with your premises, I agree with your, your conclusion. I think that the question as to how much social discohesion would it have caused to do a thing is an open question. I think the other question that, that sort of remains open here is the, the incentive structure as to whether you accept a wife from your master. Right, so the, 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 I don't want to get into the abstru. I mean, we can do this literally to, all day. We and we need step from the, past into the I mean, there are 70 anyway, volumes so. of the Talmud that are literally about this sort of stuff, and then copious writings in terms of reinterpretation. Yeah, we're the hardly the first can, people to talk we, about yeah, this. exactly. Yeah. This is not the first time these questions have come up. Um, and But I think the, the general point is, is sort of one where either we can dive into that full time and, and you can spend your mm-hmm. life becoming a rabbi, which, you know... Could happen. Could happen. Uh, it could happen. You, Never you, you know have it. the beard for it. It's, hmm. it <laughs> your, your beard is further along than mine. Uh, <laughs> or, or we can sort of you know, stipulate at the top that there are certain biblical interpretations that are abstruse and difficult, yeah. and that that has been a reality of religious life since the beginning. Well, I can agree with that. that, so that we, we that's we need certainly to step.
3: True. We need to step from the past into uh, the future through this uh, conversational portal that we've got available to us. Um, obviously everyone at this table would agree that holding a slave is wrong in the same way that the man you kept talking about who you thought was coming to kill you we would all agree that that's a problematic thing Um, and it it, it does it does seem so I'm not going to get you to defend this because I want you to um, come up with another game show where you solve the future uh, problems of society for us Alex Um, it, it does seem that on an atheist worldview it is difficult ultimately to say what is good what is right what is wrong but we can be practical about it we can be functional about it so come on then for the future give us some practical secular philosophies that can really help to build social cohesion for the future you've got about a minute to do that then we'll give um, ben a minute to respond well and then we'll wrap up
2: i can i can uh, provide an answer that i don't think will. Will be cause of further debate, uh, which is to say <laughs> that'd be shocking. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think I think everything that 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 I've I've heard you say, Ben, on this on this subject, and everything that I I think you may be about to say, not everything, but some of it, uh, involves saying that look, you know, what we need to do is encourage uh, strengthening family and 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 having uh, having children and and you know not doing drugs and and all of this kind of stuff, which. People, like you say, have traditionally this has been somewhat the prerogative of the church to maintain. I think that people just don't believe in God anymore. And so what I would say is just to encourage those things Mm -hmm. without the God. The question I would leave, and I'm sorry, I've just promised no debate, but here's something. (laughs) Look, suppose it's the case that I agree wholesale with your proposition that religion is good and maybe even necessary for society in some way, right? Suppose I just say that that's true. I don't believe it's true. I've tried. I'm sorry. I just don't believe it. And so, I'm now left with a choice here. I don't think it's true, but I become convinced that it's somehow useful or beneficial. What am I to do with this information? Mm -hmm. You can't just choose to believe in God. People say you can choose to act as though you believe in God. That's Mm. kind of true until something really testing comes along, if you don't really believe it in your heart, you will falter at the first opportunity. How am I to raise my children? Am I to lie to them? might to say well i don't believe in any of this nonsense but because i think it you know promotes a, a, a sort of non-replacement um uh, uh, you know um birth rate then i'm, I'm just going to bring them up believing things that i think are false yeah. I, I don't think this can this can happen it's amazing how quickly ostensible deontologists transform before our very eyes into utilitarians on this question that outgo the idea of being you know truthful and being honest and and talking about things that you think are philosophically sound now it's 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 essentially faith-based and it's about trying to make as many people uh, you know the, the the greatest good for the greatest number across society and societal cohesion even if you think it's false in other words me i'm someone who is an atheist i don't believe it's true if i just grant everything you've said about the the, the utility that religion provides what am i to do so yeah.
1: let me ask you've got what, about 30 seconds so i mean it really is a, it's a quick question which is do you know it's not true or do you not believe that it's true? I, I mean, don't believe that it's true. You, you believe that it's not true or you don't believe that it's I true? I believe
2: that it's not true. You say.
1: believe that it's not true in a, in a full fashion. Let's say that's the case. Yeah. Right. So if, if you believe that, then obviously I think that you're wrong in the sense that, as I said right at the outset, I think that a lot of atheists are more religious than religious people. Religious people constantly ad- admit to doubts and, and problems in interpretation and all, all the rest of this sort of stuff. I don't think that, that a true religious believer... Can, can be truly religious without experiencing those doubts because you're taking a leap of faith right off the top. And what I would normally say to somebody who, who is not fully committed to disbelief, I would say, is that you'd be in the position of being able to say to your kid, I don't know if it's true or not, which I think is a more honest answer, yes. by the way. I uh, and, I that. Think that, and, I, and I think that, that that is something that you can teach your kids. You can say, here's an atheist perspective, here's a religious <coughs> perspective, I don't know what's true. I can provide you evidence on my side why I don't believe it fully, but there are people who provide evidence on the other side and arguments on the other side that that are not foolish, that are not out of the sky crazy, you know. Like the, the and, and so the and and make your own decision. I think that's the way that you would address that with a child. If you if you're somebody who who doesn't who believes in the social utility of religion but doesn't necessarily believe in the religion itself, I think giving the child the ability to choose that. Themselves by saying I'm not sure or by presenting both sides of the argument would not be a bad way to go I mean mm. just in terms of practical solutions uh, in terms of what I would say to better society I, I have a much easier answer which is I think that you should re-engage with your social institutions including your church mm. I think that, that saying to people on an individual level don't do drugs study hard for your tests, get married before you have kids, get a job. Like it's, it's, it's easy to say that to people. And I think that without supporting social institutions that reinforce that nearly every day and make it part of the culture that surrounds you, it's very difficult for people to live that. And so I think that removing God as sort of the capstone mm-hmm. of these institutions, the whole institution tends to fall apart. So on a practical level, if you get rid of God, the institution just ceases to exist. And you can yell as much as you want, but individuals are far less likely to provide the social reinforcement and social networks for support that actually create the bases of a good fundamentally solid civilization than an individualist civilization in which all you can do is basically encourage someone to quote-unquote do the right thing.
3: Amen. Well, the fact we've managed to keep Ben Shapiro within the 24 minutes is uh, a miracle in itself, a miracle that Alex doesn't believe in. (laughs) 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 But uh, we have been talking today on the big conversation uh, about religion and whether it's good or bad for society and I've been joined by two literally world-beating minds, Alex O'Connor and Ben Shapiro. I have enjoyed it so much, thank you so much to both of you, you're both so wonderful and uh, impressive and we've seen areas of uh, convergence, we've seen areas of divergence, Uh, Alex has given some ground on the areas where religion is good for society, Ben has conceded that it's not always good for society. In certain iterations. Um, So, we didn't come to a uh, full uh, verdict about whether religion is good or bad for society. Uh, But what we have seen is two men avid and persistent in their pursuit of reason. And I can tell you something that is good for the future of society. Join us next time on The Big Conversation. Goodbye.
0: Thank you for joining us on Unbelievable, the show that aims to get you thinking. We would love to hear your thoughts. Do get in touch. You can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or leave a comment on our Twitter account at unbelievableFE or on the Premier Unbelievable Facebook page. And do check out our website, premierunbelievable.com. Registering there gives you access to all of our web content and our newsletter, through which you can gain access to hours of exclusive bonus content. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to Unbelievable, please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. Thank you for listening and see you next week.